Welcome back to Axiom Youth Podcast. Brother Jared teaches a lesson called Three Types of Affliction. He's taking his text from 1 Samuel. Thank you for tuning in. We hope you enjoy. Thankful to be here with you tonight and very thankful for Sister Hannah, Sister Nikki for their work and music team sound very good and thankful for that it takes a lot of effort and practice and I'm thankful they show up early and think about it and do that I'm very grateful to them and just everybody that helps us so much or young people I say it all the time but you're very blessed to have this many people in your life that love you and that do this out of the abundance of their heart brother Thomas sister Hannah brother Cody sister Caitlin our young adults that just really take time to invest because they love you and they love the kingdom and that is a blessing in your life so i'm very thankful for everyone that works so hard and diligently to make axiom youth what it is and i want to preach to you tonight from our word before world book first samuel chapter number one and just kind of take you a little bit into my devotion and how this chapter when I read it the other day how it speaks to me I'm I'm really been interested lately in different kinds of um, material to bring to you uh, I love podcasts how many have ever listened to a podcast we have a podcast now but uh, there's all kinds of podcasts out there and all the podcasting has made me um, interested in different kinds of material and making sure that we teach accurately and that we give you good content about a Christian worldview and about what it means to be a Christian. But, you know, sometimes um, there is no substitute for just opening up the Bible, looking at something from the Scripture, and applying it directly to our life. Because I hope we have defended the Word well, that you can take confidence in this book. But, you know... When it comes down to it, when you're in a crisis and God speaks to you through the preached word, that is the most powerful thing that can happen in a church service. I have been there many times when I needed something from God and the preacher who did not know me necessarily opened up the word of God that was written thousands of years before and read a scripture and began to exhort on that scripture until my life was transformed because it was something that I needed to hear. There's power in preaching. There's power in preaching. And it, the Bible calls it the foolishness of preaching. We don't understand, but there's power in it. That somebody who doesn't really know, I know a lot about your life, but I don't know everything about your life. But God knows everything about your life. And somehow he uses a preacher through the word of God to communicate a thought that can touch and transform a life. And when I read this story, I knew that God was dealing with this group right here. I knew that God was working on somebody's heart tonight. I knew that God was reaching for somebody. We're going to look now at 1 Samuel chapter number 1. And we're going to look at verse number 5. It says, But unto Hannah he gave a worthy portion, for he loved Hannah, but the Lord had shut up her womb. The Lord had shut up her womb. How many read this chapter this week? 
Anybody start on their Word Before World yet? Aiden, got a couple? All right, you're slacking off. We got to get there. You'd already, you'd already be ahead of the game if you had read it. So I might have to go back and talk a little bit about it. But unto Hannah he gave a worthy portion, for he loved Hannah, but the Lord had shut up her womb. And her adversary also provoked her sore for to make her fret because the Lord had shut up her womb. And as he did so year by year, the Lord had not given her children year by year. There's not talking about a small time. This is a long time. When she went up to the house of the Lord, so she provoked her, talking about her adversary. We're going to talk about her adversary. Therefore, she wept and did not eat. She wept and did not eat. Verse number nine says, so Hannah rose up after they had eaten in Shiloh and after they had drunk. Now Eli, the priest, sat upon a seat by the post of the temple of the Lord. And she was in bitterness of soul and prayed unto the Lord and wept sore. And I'm going to talk about three kinds of affliction tonight. Three kinds of affliction. Three types of affliction. I want you to bow your head and I want you to just say a quick prayer with me. God, thank you for this time together with these young people. I pray, Lord, that you would reach for them, that you would work in their heart and in their life. God, as I feel like you want to do tonight, I pray that you would anoint me, God, to say exactly what you need me to say to, in order to communicate effectively with them. Touch me and touch this group tonight. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You can be seated tonight. The word affliction, of course, is trouble or trial. And uh, Hannah was in a very difficult trial. Now, it's kind of hard to understand, but I'm going to try to set the picture for you because even though it was a different culture, you can identify with Hannah in her feelings. And no doubt, she is one, I think, of the greatest characters in the Bible. She's one of my heroes of Scripture because of God looking on her and seeing something in her that he could use. He saw something in her that he could use, and that is when her affliction started. That is when her trial started, is when God recognized that there was something in her life that he could use. So let me set the backstory a little bit. Hannah was a wife of a man who was a priestly lineage. But in that day, it was not frowned on to have multiple wives. The Bible says that at the time of ignorance, God winked at it. And every man did what was right in his own eyes. So there was... This kind of, I'm not really sure how to, I don't really know what was going on, but it, in that culture and in that day and time, that's not the time we live in where God commands that you must be the husband of one wife and the wife of one husband, but they had multiple wives. And so this man, Elkanah, had two wives, and unto one, she bore him a lot of children. And to the other, the Bible said he loved her more 
and he gave her more stuff. He gave her more money and better gifts and kind of gave her more of his attention, but she had no children. And I know that's hard for young people to grasp, and it certainly is hard for young people in this generation to grasp. I think it might be hard for any young person that's unmarried to grasp the pain of not being able to have children. Because in that day and age, children were everything. They were your inheritance. They were what you left on. They, and they rightly saw that children come from God. They rightly saw that, that this is a gift of life. Nowadays, we know a lot about science, and we know a lot about how babies are formed in the womb, and we have a very low view of life because we have laws that say you can abort a baby in the womb and believe that it's not a miracle in our culture. Of course, we don't ascribe to that, but that's what our culture at large says, but not in this culture. It was all a gift from God. And so if there was a child, they knew that it came from God. And so if there was no children, if you were married and you could not have children, then it was looked on as a curse from God. It was a curse from God. It was a sign that you were not in favor with God. And so this is where Hannah finds herself, that she is cursed or that she is um, put aside as not having very much value. It, it, and so to make matters worse, she already feels this way in her heart, but to make matters worse, the other wife of her husband mocks her and makes fun of her because of the jealousy that she was more loved by her husband. And so, this, so she begins to bully out of jealousy and a sense of inferiority. This is, now it's starting to sound a little more familiar. It's hard to relate to being the wife of a husband and having another wife there and not maybe having children, but everybody can relate to being bullied. Everybody can relate to being pushed or being mocked in some way. And so it brings right here on the, on the very cusp, we see the two types of affliction that are in people's lives. I believe there are three types of trials or affliction that people can endure. And right here at the beginning, we see two types that Hannah is being put under. The first type is just when God does it. It's something completely out of your control. It's something that has no fault of your own. It's no fault of anybody else. It is just something that happens in life. And it can be a very frustrating thing to be in that position. And then secondly is affliction from other people. Sinful action by other people. And I like what the Bible says. I think it's, I, this is my opinion, I think it's important when the Bible says that it was her adversary. I don't necessarily think it's talking about the other wife. I think it's talking about her true adversary, which was the devil. So this is just how this works, is that the enemy can influence people through their selfishness to come at you, and you know that it's a little bit different than just somebody coming at you, but it can actually be the adversary. It can actually be the person that is against your eternal soul coming against you. But here is why Hannah is a hero to me. And here is why her story is written for all of us to read. is because the third type of affliction is the affliction that you bring upon yourself. Through sin, unrighteousness, self-pity, victimization, lashing back, revenge. And Hannah never took that step. She was mocked. She was made fun of. And the Lord had, was against her in some ways, it felt like. 
But yet she never allowed herself to get bitter and to get angry in a way that she lashed out. In fact, she never even told her husband what the other wife was doing to her. She kept it to a secret from what you can read in the text. You can kind of pull that out. He had no idea really what was going on. She kept all of these things very, very secretive and she held them in and she did not lash out in some kind of way. But what did she do? What did she do? And if you've read the story, and if you read the story, you will see that when she got up from the feast, from the party, it's supposed to be a joyous time when, the, when the, the nation of Israel would come to the temple, to the tabernacle at this point that was in Shiloh, and they would come to worship the Lord and to bring offerings. And when you did that, you would throw a big party, and it would be a big feast, and it was a time of celebration. And so she left the celebration and she, while everyone else was celebrating, she was crushed. Her spirit was broken. Anybody ever felt that way before? And you look around and like everybody's happy and you're not. Right? I mean, can't you relate here with this kind of deal? And everybody's smiling and having a good time and nobody really knows the weight and the burden that you are carrying. And her husband just didn't get it. He said, why are you sad? Am I not enough for you? Are not my gifts enough for you that you don't need children? And it, that, it didn't help. She had all this material good, but it didn't help. There was something else inside of her. Why? Why was she under this affliction? Because God was working in her life. Because God knew. This is, this is what is interesting to me, and this is what really challenged me, is because the other wife, she had plenty of children. But after that, we know nothing else about her. And we know nothing else about her children. So God gave those children to that other wife. But then he never, that we know of, used them ever again. They just kind of disappear into obscurity. But something, but God had a different plan for Hannah. And so because he had a plan for her, and because he looked down and saw that she had a character that he could work with, and because he knew that if he pushed her, she would do something that would radically change the world. Not just her family, not just her life, but that would impact eternity. He said, I'm, I can push this girl right here. She can take it. These others can't. But she can take it. Because what did Hannah do? Because she was under the affliction from the Lord. And she was under the affliction from the adversary or other people's sinful behavior. But what God knew that the enemy didn't know, and what God knew that the other wife didn't know, was that that affliction was pushing Hannah to the place exactly where God wanted her to be. Because she came down to an altar of sorts. She was in the tabernacle. And she wept Sore. And the Bible says that her sorrow was so great that the words would not even come out of her mouth. That she cried out from her heart and her mouth was moving, but there were no words coming out. And the priest thought that she was drunk because of the sorrow that overtook her life. It was this deep kind of sorrow. And you know what that prayer was? And this is what makes her a hero. Because she came down and she prayed and she, after years and years of God not answering her prayer, she finally prayed the right formula. And God knew it all along. 
God knew that she would do that. God knew that he was just waiting on the words to come out of her mouth. And she said, God, if you give me a son, if you give me a son, I will lend him back to you for his entire life. And he will serve you in this house. If you give me what I desire and what the enemy has told me will never happen. If you give me my dream, I will make sure that my dream is always dedicated to you. Wow. Now that's a powerful prayer. That's not God, I want it to consume it upon my own lust. God, I want it to get back at this stupid lady I've got to live with. God, I want to show them. I want to put it in their face. I want to be this and I want to be that. No, God, this is not going to happen without you. And if you give it to me, I will give it completely back to you. God, I want this so bad, I will surrender everything to your kingdom. And when she prayed that prayer, God said, now's the time. Now's the time for your prayer to be answered. And so she was, became pregnant, and the Bible said that when she gave birth, she, she was holding this baby. I want you to think about I know, especially you're not married, and especially young men, you're not, will never be a mother. Despite what culture says, you will never, ever, ever be a mother. But just looking at that child and that promise and that answered prayer, do you think she understood the value of it? Because she's had to wait for so long. She had to wait such a long time and endure such hardship. Do you think that when it finally came, that she understood its value and its purpose? Because the Bible says that she named her baby Samuel. And I'm not super into what names mean unless the Bible specifically tells us what a name means. And it does. Because you gave him to me. That's why she picked the name Samuel. Because you gave him to me. Because he understood how valuable the miracle was. Because if she would have just had kids like the other lady had, yes, she wouldn't have been under so much affliction. Yes, she wouldn't have been made fun of so much. And she wouldn't have felt the kind of discouragement that she went through for years. But then when the miracle happened, she wouldn't have even recognized it as a miracle. It would have just been a part of everyday life. And she would have just looked like everybody else and been like everybody else and her kid would have grown up just like everybody else but because the Lord put her through some adversity so you say you want to be used by God welcome to adversity you're not going to be able to be used by God because you would not even recognize a miracle in your life unless you have seen the other side unless you have felt a little bit of adversity you will never know when God's working in your life if everything works out perfectly for your life my old pastor used to say, it, you're just a dingbat. You're just a dingbat. Because nothing, you've never had to really do anything. So nothing really has any power to you. You just have a bunch of kids and they all go off and do their thing. And that's just 
what it is for that other lady. It was nothing special, nothing important. She didn't come and dedicate her child to the temple because it was just, it was just part of everyday life. She had so many children. But this one child that Hannah had that took her years and affliction, and it God lifted that off of her. And she was so grateful that she recognized the value of what I have. I'm holding something that only God could give. I've got something that only God could give me. And because I see its value, I'm going to put it in the safest place possible for that child's future. And that is serving the Lord. And that became the prophet Samuel, who until he was born, the Bible says there was no open vision, meaning there was no prophet with the authority to speak to all of Israel and to tell them you're on the wrong path. And when it came time to anoint a new king of Israel, a king that would have a throne that would last forever, from whose line Jesus Christ would be born to sit on that throne, God chose Samuel to anoint that king because Samuel was the most powerful man in the nation because he spoke for God because he was in a place where God could use him because his mother understood his value because it was a miracle because the she did not allow the affliction from heaven and the affliction from the enemy to turn her heart in such a way that caused her to get bitter and walk away. But she understood that there's power in prayer. She understood that there's power in bringing something to the Lord and letting Him work on it and letting Him work it out and let Him do the work. She understood that. And so because she understood that, God could do something with her and could do something with her child. So now, here, said all that to say this, here's the application. If you are going to live for God and if you are going to serve God in a meaningful way, you will face opposition to get from where you are right now to where God has called you to be. There is no option. There is no choice because if God just blessed you one blessing after another and you never had to go through any affliction when the miracle hit you in the face, you wouldn't even recognize it as a miracle you would think you were responsible you would think you did it and you would never darken the door of church again so God in his mercy because I don't believe that I'm looking at young people that don't have a destiny I don't believe I'm looking at young people that are just going to be forgotten and walk away from God I believe that I'm looking at young people that have a destiny and that have a calling on their life but because of that you're going to have to walk through some affliction you're going to have to walk through some persecution there's going to be people that look you in the face and tell you you are an idiot for serving God or that you are stupid for answering the call of God on your life and they may look like a family member but there's going to be a spirit that's pushing behind them that is your adversary that is somebody that does not want you to answer the call of God because he knows how powerful your calling could be and what your destiny could be that you step into so you will face opposition and I do not do, uh, become sad at that day but it makes me rejoice when I see young people who are pushed a little bit and who take a stand because I know God's about to do something great in their life because when you come through the affliction that's when God says I can use you now because you're at a place where if I give it to you you will surrender you want to go to Bible college you're going to have to fight to get there because if it was all smooth sailing when you got there you would goof off you would think you were there on your own power. You wouldn't understand the gravity of the situation that you were dealing with. And you would miss everything. And you would never bring it back to the altar and say, God, it's a miracle that I'm here. 
So I'm just going to serve you. It's a miracle that I'm here, so I'm going to give everything to you. I'm just going to give you my life. If your life's never been on the line, you don't understand how to give it to God. If it's just always smooth sailing and one smooth step to one smooth step, you're not going to give your life to God. So God in His mercy and His wisdom afflicts you and pushes you. And the enemy who thinks that he's doing you a disservice will push you. But you see, the powerful thing about God is if you keep your spirit right and if you bring it to God in prayer and you don't come back with some snarky attitude, And you don't try to take revenge. And you don't try to push back in some carnal way and get all kind of mad and angry in your life. But you say, you know what? I'm going to bring this to the Lord. And I'm going to watch Him work it out. I'm not going to to do this thing on my own. But I'm going to let God do a miracle. This is so common in Scripture, in the Old Testament especially, about how God put His people in a position so that there was no way for it to work out other than He did a miracle. And the effort to get them to understand that it's not by might, and it's not by power, but it's by my Spirit, saith the Lord. The only way you're going to make it is if God does a miracle in your life. And the only way you're going to recognize the miracle when it comes is if it first looks impossible. So you want to be used by God, you are going to have to stare an impossibility in the face. And there are some of you that are already staring that impossibility in the face. And maybe you've already felt the buffeting of the enemy coming up and saying, why do you go to church so much? Why are you so faithful to the house of God? What's this Jesus thing got to do with you anyway? There's no future here. And then the enemy comes in and starts to give you alternatives. Well, you could do this or well, you could do that or well, you could kind of lash out here or this is an alternative path for your life and there'll be less opposition and there'll be less hardship absolutely but there will be less miracles and there will be less destiny and there will be less purpose and because God has called you I'm sorry it's too late to go back because the Bible says that the gifts and callings of God are without repentance and if you miss the call of God you will remember it until the day that you die You will remember what it felt like to be under conviction of the power of the Holy Ghost. You will remember what it felt like when God was dealing with you at camps and HYC and NAYC. And when you're living your life that you can control, that you you find out quickly you can't really control it. But you just thought you could. And it's spiraling out of control. And your perfect career is slipping away from you. And your perfect family is slipping away from you. And you'll think, I wish I would have just answered the call of God. I wish I would have stuck it out in the middle of that adventure and taking it to an altar and let God work in my life. I wish I would have done that. I wish I would have reached out to Him. Because that is when God says, now I can use them. Now they can fulfill their destiny in me. I want you to bow your head right now. I'm coming to a close quickly. They'd help me on the music. There will never be a perfect situation to live for God. There will never be a oppositionless period in your life 
where living for God won't cost you something. In fact, that's really a principle in every form of life. You want to do anything with any kind of success, it takes opposition. It takes sacrifice. So what you have to decide is what kind of affliction am I going to endure and what is the reward for the affliction that I endure. It takes a lot of studying to get through college. It takes a lot of dedication and faithfulness to keep a job and to, and to climb the ranks. It takes a lot of time and energy to own your own business. It takes a lot of skill to become a doctor. If you're going to accomplish anything in this life, you're going to have to face some opposition. And that is so true of living for God and answering the call of God. Is there's opposition. And there's not just opposition within yourself, but because there's an enemy, there's going to be opposition. Let me just tell you, there's going to be opposition from people that are close to you even. There's going to be opposition. And what you've got to do in those moments is you cannot take control in your own hands and say, well, I'm going to work this out through my own thinking, my own strength, my own ability. You've got to do like Hannah did as our example and come to an altar and cry out to the Lord and say, God, if you give me this dream, this dream that I want so badly, if you give it to me, I will know that it's only from you, that I had nothing to do with it, and because it's yours, I'm going to lend it back to you. I love that word, lend. Because it was, if she had a child, the nature of free will was, that child was in her possession. It was in her power. She could have went back on her word. Because your life is yours. God's not going to force you. God's not going to make you. The question is, will you lend it back to him? Will you say, God, I'm going to put a lifelong lease on my heart. And as long as you want to do something with me, I'm available to you. And that is the greatest reward. That is the greatest reward. I wonder if we could stand. I want you to lift your hands right now. And I want you to just think about something that God has spoken to you. And I want you to just say, Lord, if you let this dream come to pass in my life, I will give it to you. I will surrender it to you. Those of you that have been battling with your future, what college, what job, what thing next, I beg you, give it to God. It may look like the road that is the toughest with the most opposition, but if you give it to God, you will put yourself in a place for a miracle. And when God does a miracle, there will be nothing anybody can say to turn your mind around, to turn your heart around, because it was a miracle that God had done. So I wonder if we could just lift our voices right now and begin to pray. I think there's somebody here that's been facing some opposition. And you need to give it to God. I'm not saying it's going to be resolved tonight. But I'm saying you need to start that process at an altar and saying, God, 
if you take care of this, I'll give, it every, I'll give everything to you. If you will answer my prayer, God, I will give my life. I will give my heart to you. Come on, begin to cry out to the Lord right now. Let's make this place a prayer room right now. I believe God's dealing with somebody. Because I believe there's a calling on the young people in this room. I believe there's a destiny. I don't believe that you're just some insignificant person that's going to walk off the pages of history. But I believe that you are going to impact the kingdom of God. And while the world and while those around you may not see your value, God sees your value. And that's exactly why you're under so much attack or under so much pressure. But if you keep your integrity, if you say, I'm just going to bring it to the Lord in prayer, God is going to do something great in your life. Come on, let's just pray right now. Come on, nobody looking around. Nobody looking around. take a little time I believe God's been dealing with somebody tonight maybe you were close to walking away and saying you know what I, I, I can't put up with this anymore I'm here to encourage you it's worth it God's going to do something great in your life when you least expect it God's going to answer your prayer God's going to do a miracle episode of Axiom Youth Student Ministries. Thank you for listening to this episode. We hope you've enjoyed and we hope you'll come back for the next one. Thank you for tuning in.